Hello, I'm Sherry House, a missionary living in Thailand who loves to study the lives of great women of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Welcome to Silhouettes, my weekly story about a lady whose life challenges, encourages, and teaches me. I hope as you listen today, your heart will be encouraged and challenged too to do what you can for the Lord. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Let me tell you her story. Mary Helen Howarth was born on November 14, 1863 in Wardle, England. She was the firstborn child of four, and her father was a Methodist pastor. In 1875, when Helen was just 12 years old, her father took his family to America. After spending some time in Mississippi, the family settled in Wisconsin. On January 13, 1887, at the age of 23, Helen married a gentleman named William Lemmel, and later that year had a son they named Lawrence. A daughter they named Gladys was born a few years later in 1892. Helen loved to sing and soon gained a reputation for it. She often gave concerts in churches throughout the Midwest. In 1904, at the age of 40, Helen moved to Seattle, Washington, and for three years she served as the music critic for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. During an interview with German singer Ernestine Schumann-Hein, she was persuaded to consider going to Europe to further her music education. Helen decided to pursue the idea, and in 1907, she moved to Germany to study music for the next four years. When Helen completed her music studies, she returned to the Midwest and began traveling extensively throughout the United States and even overseas. Although Helen could have had a lucrative career as a distinguished secular singer, her passion was always singing about Jesus. Her sweet soprano voice gave her many an opportunity to witness for Him. In 1917, Helen presented her series of children's songs at the National Education Association Convention, informing people that she was going to be entirely devoting herself to the making of songs and stories for the religious education of children. She used her talents to teach voice at the Moody Bible Institute as well for a period of time, and also taught at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Besides her musical talents, Helen was known for her remarkable literary skills. Throughout her lifetime, she wrote over 500 hymns and poems, composed many children's musical pieces, and authored a successful children's book entitled Story of the Bible. In 1918, during a visit with a missionary friend, Helen was given a tract entitled Focused that had been written 20 years previously by a missionary to the Muslims in Algeria named Lilius Trotter. The tract talked about a simple dandelion that Lilius happened upon one day as she was taking a walk. She noticed that although the dandelion was half-withered, it was still radiating the sunlight that shone upon it as it raised its head towards the sun. She compared it to how even a Christian in their brokenness or times of trial can radiate Christ by focusing on Him. One line in particular jumped out at Helen, the words, So then, turn your eyes upon him, look full into his face, and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. Without any real thought of her own, the words flowed out of Helen, and she wrote the hymn that she entitled, The Heavenly Vision. Today it is better known by the first line of its chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That same year, the hymn was introduced at the Kenswick Convention and used as their theme song, and immediately it gained popularity. From there, the song has been printed in nearly every hymn book since. It has been translated into many, many languages, and for the past 100 years, people all around the world have gained strength as they sing the words of her song and have been challenged to turn their eyes to Jesus. 
1961, when Helen was in her late 90s, she retired and moved back to Seattle. She had a small plastic keyboard in her room that she used to continue to pour her heart out in poems that she set to music. Helen remained an active member of the Ballard Baptist Church and kept her joyful and enthusiastic spirit right until her last days. Helen passed away at her home on November 1, 1961, just days before her 98th birthday. Well, you can find out more about Helen Lemmel on my website, sherryhouse.com, but let me tell you one more story from her life, which resonated with one of my own. Helen lived a very full and rewarding life, and she made a difference with the time she was given on earth. At some point, though, Helen suffered a personal tragedy, which easily could have derailed her if she had let it. You see, Helen contracted a disease that caused her to go blind. This trial, in and of itself, would test the character of anyone, but the difficulties she would face were compounded when the prospect of having an invalid wife to care for was more than her husband could cope with. So he abandoned her and the marriage. Helen did not use what I am sure was the most difficult of trials, physically as well as emotionally, as an excuse to give up on God, nor did she use her hardship to discourage her from being a light in the world. In fact, she became even more completely devoted to God and to her vocation. She continued to write and sing and make sweet music that touched the heart of every listener and drew them to Christ. Back in June of 2009, my visitation partner, Becca Bushy, and I were visiting our Songtao riders on a Saturday morning. A Songtao is a pickup truck with two benches for seats in the back with a canopy cover. We rented a number of these each week to bring people to church. Our Songtao route was a village of about 10,000 people called Tung Song Hong. It was comprised of 10 buildings, each with five floors that had single-room dwellings, along with a labyrinth of small alleyways that housed single- and two-story homes all sandwiched together. On this particular Saturday, Becca and I were walking through the alleyways, giving out the gospel. We had stopped at a gate to talk to someone and invited them to church. As we finished, we carried on walking towards the end of the alley. We heard someone yell out, Ben Christian Mai, or Are You a Christian? We couldn't see anyone, so we just kept walking towards where the voice was coming from. The person called out a few more times, and we finally found the house. When we got to the gate, there was a lady standing inside her house doorway, and I noticed that she was blind. We told her that we were Christians, and she invited us into her home. Her name was Ganiga, and she was in her late 50s. Her 90-year-old bedridden mother was laying in the bed next to where we were sitting. When I started to witness Daganiga, she told me that she had been a Christian since she was 16. Her mother assured me of her salvation as well. That was quite unusual, and I was excited to hear their testimonies. They came from a village way up in the mountains in the northernmost part of Thailand. The mother told us that she was saved as a young girl and brought up in a Christian home. Her parents had been won to Christ over a hundred years ago by a missionary lady who had gone up the mountain to spread the gospel. It was exciting to think that all these years later, they had kept to the teaching they had received and had been passing it down through the generations of their family. Ganiga lost her sight as a young child, but had been faithfully going to church for many years, and I was humbled to hear what it took for her to get there. Because she was blind and her mother was too ill to go with her to church anymore, Ganiga relied on the honesty and goodness of the people she met on the streets as she tried to get to church. Let me explain a little. She had to walk out of her house and down several alleyways with some twists and turns that confused even those of us who could see where we were going. 
She walked until she got to the main road in the village where the songtails were lined up to transport people out to the main highway. She then had to find a songtail that was headed in the direction she needed to go. She took this songtail to the end of its route, got off of it, and then found the next songtail that would go for the next part of the route. She then got off that third songtail and would ask around to find the bus that was heading in the direction towards her church. She got on the bus and rode it for a while until it stopped at a point that let people off that needed to cross to the other side of the highway. In order to do that, she had to climb many stairs to a walking overpass that went across the 10-laned highway and had only railings for sides. She would walk across that and then go down the stairs until she got on the other side of the highway. Then she had to find the correct bus that would take her to the area where her church was located. Once she got off that bus, she then had to walk the rest of the way to reach the church. All of this took well over an hour. I remember as I listened to all that she had to do to get to church, let alone doing it while she was blind, the shame that came over me for complaining that I didn't yet have a car and I had to take a taxi to church each time, a taxi that picked me up right at my door and dropped me off at the church door. Ganiga was so excited to write our song tale that week and visit our church with us, but she assured me that she would continue to faithfully attend her own church as long as the Lord allowed her. I think I can honestly say that I never, ever, ever again complained about my transportation issues to get to church. Over the four years that I lived in that area, Becca and I made sure to stop in and visit Ganiga and her mother nearly every week. We always had a time of encouraging each other with the blessings the Lord had given us that week, and then Becca or I would pray for their needs. We rejoiced together in the Lord, healing Ganiga's mother to the point that she could get out of bed and walk around. I haven't been back to that area now for nearly 10 years. I would assume that Ganiga's mother has gone on to heaven by now. And I would also assume that if Ganiga is still alive, she will faithfully be doing whatever it takes for her to make it to church this coming Sunday. I will never forget that her very valid options for a good excuse were not an excuse for her at all. The thought of her will continue to remind me that there really is no excuse for not doing what we know the Lord wants us to do. Today I'd like to do a Bible study I've entitled Excuses, Excuses. The definition of excuse I'll use for the purpose of this Bible study is a reason or explanation we put forward to defend or justify a fault or offense. Making excuses for not doing something we should do or for explaining why we did something we shouldn't have done is one of the basic characteristics of human nature. How many of you have ever heard your child say, so-and-so made me do it, when you've caught them doing something wrong? Or you've heard them say, I can't do it, when you know that it is their stubbornness or laziness, not their inability, that is hindering them from doing it. Sadly, our excuse-making days are not limited to our childhood. Instead of learning to not make excuses for ourselves, we seem to just get better at it, don't we? There are some very famous excuse makers in the Bible. Here are a few. Uh, Genesis 3 tells us about Eve, who blamed the serpent for her disobedience. And then the verse actually before that is Adam, where he's blaming Eve for his disobedience. And actually, we see he blames God for putting him in that situation anyway. Numbers 13 tells us of the 10 spies that picked out the one negative thing about the mission God was sending them on, the giants, and used it as an excuse to scrap the whole thing. Then we see in Judges 6, where Gideon used his family background of being poor and of him not having any standing within the family anyways, as his excuse to tell God why he couldn't do what God was clearly telling him to do. 
Second Kings 5 gives us Naaman, who excused his unwillingness to follow God's solution to his problem because he felt his own solution was a better option. Matthew 8 tells us of the man who wanted Jesus to believe that he was willing to follow him, but just needed to wait until he buried his father, or in other words, he wanted to do God's will in his own time. And then the last one, which just kills me, in Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, we see the slothful man who couldn't think of a better excuse than to claim that there was a lion in the street waiting to eat him rather than to step outside of the comfort of his home. Next to this verse, I have circled the word lion and written the words, really? And then I wrote the statement, for a lazy person, any old excuse will do. This guy was so lazy, he didn't even bother to come up with a reasonable excuse. But you know, enough about excuse makers. I want to be like the guys in Luke 5 that stopped at nothing to get their friend to Jesus so he could heal them. I want to be like Ruth, who left home and family to travel to an unknown place in order to follow the God that she now knew. I want to be like Rebecca, who was willing to marry a complete stranger because she saw the Lord's hand in the proposal. Okay, actually, hearing myself say that out loud, I don't literally want to do this one, but you get the idea. I ultimately want to be like Jesus, who made no excuse but bravely faced the task that God asked of him. Whatever it is for you, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, tithing, witnessing to others, inviting people to church, being kind to your unkind neighbor, forgiving someone who has wronged you, being honest in your business dealings, being faithful to your spouse, raising your children for the Lord, whatever it is that you seem to always be able to find a satisfactory excuse for yourself, tell yourself today that it ends. No more excuses to not do what you know you should do. There really are just two kinds of people, those that say no excuse will do or those that say any old excuse will do. Which kind of person are you? Do you have a habit of making excuses? If so, remember the stories of Ganeka and Helen and do whatever it takes to do what you know God wants you to do. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's silhouette and learning a little bit more about Helen Lemmel's story and this matter of make no excuse. She truly was a woman of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Let's you and I go do what we can do. Silhouettes with Sherry is written and told by missionary Sherry House. To learn more about Sherry, this story, or other stories about women who were used of God, read Sherry's blog at sherryhouse.com. That's S-H-A-R-I house.com. Silhouettes can be heard at this time every week on this station. Silhouettes is a Causeway Media and Faith Music Radio production. Thank you.